Welcome to the Lug Nuts and Beer Podcast. I'm Tom Crilly, joined by my co-host Dylan Flickinger. We are back at our homes in Ohio and North Carolina following our first in-person race of the season. The STP 500 at Martinsville is in the books. Kyle Busch led 352 laps on his way to claiming his first Martinsville grandfather clock. My girlfriend did not break up with me after her first race experience, so I feel like if she can handle 500 laps at Martinsville surrounded by 65,000 of America's proudest, rowdiest sons and daughters, uh, then I'm pretty sure she can handle anything. What do you think about the race, Dylan? <laughs> oh, that was a great intro. Um, <laughs> oh, what a race. That was great. Um, it didn't even take me an hour to get there, which was awesome. Um, I got to meet your lovely girlfriend for the first time uh ever you guys have been dating for a while and just met her crazy yeah it was crazy and got to meet her uh at a nascar race which is super cool i don't know how you've never met her i mean we've been dating for two years and <laughs> this is like the I first know. time you met her you want to know. know why it is it's because uh it's because you never come to ohio damn it okay. i always have to go to you know philadelphia no. pennsylvania or <laughs> north carolina or martinsville to see you it's ridiculous I'm home for at least like 12 hours every Christmas. So <laughs> somewhere in those 12 hours, she could have easily come down with you when we go to Puckers in North Canton and hung out. Honestly, you're right. It's her fault. <laughs> it's fine. Anyways, dude, great race though. I'm glad she got to experience that. Martinsville is awesome. I went with my little... Uh, Brought my 17-year-old nephew, Jacob, and got to do some tailgating before the race. and then Yeah, Jake, Jacob's not so little anymore. I remember him when he was like eight years old and we were pushing him into a TV and out a screen door. <laughs> and now he's like a 17-year-old man. I know, man. It's crazy. He's as tall as I am. And he's, yeah, he's right where we we were when you and I became friends, truthfully. That's that's right. kind of crazy to think about. Uh how life has happened but yeah i mean a lot of factors went into this race our first race of the season that each of us got to go to i thought it was an awesome race for all those reasons combined um the racing itself really good um but yeah great great day in southern virginia what did what did you think well first of all i'm just wondering what it is like about me seeing Kyle Bush win. I just can't get away from it. It seems like everywhere I go for the first time he wins. I mean, I've been to Kentucky Speedway once last summer and he won. This was my first Martinsville experience and he won. The first time you and I went to Dover together back in 2010, he won. And the one and only time I ever went to Richmond in May 2009, he won that race too. So it's uh it seems like anytime I go somewhere new, he's he's going to win the race. So I'm going to Talladega for the first time in May. So if that's any indicator, he'll probably win that one too. <laughs> yeah, man, I hear you. Between him and Jimmy Johnson, we're going to – those are the only drivers we're ever going to see win a race, a national race, <laughs> the rest of our lives. I'm convinced of it. It really – I mean, it really is. You and I have been to – what, we've been to – six races together now and jimmy johnson and kyle bush have won five of those (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, so every Uh, time we are in the stands or i'm going to a new track for the first time kyle bush wins Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know if you 
if you let Kyle Busch know what's going on with this, he might want you to show up at a couple of the tracks, the few tracks that he hasn't won at before. Maybe he would pay you to go to those ones. He w- You know, I, I'm not going to pass down a free race at any point in my life. So even if I have to support Kyle Busch, uh, you know, I'd go. Okay. Right, I would we'll I would know. secretly I would secretly cheer for Dale Jr. though. Yeah, I hear you. There. <laughs> I hear you. There, man, you know, for as good as Kyle Busch is, there are a lot of people that don't like that guy. Just a lot. No. He, oh, he is hated. He was booed so much at the race. Do you, also, I just remembered this about thirty seconds before you called me to record this podcast. Do you remember after the race, someone threw a a full beer onto the track at his car as he was doing victory lane. <laughs> oh. I think that's just par for the course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> One in every crowd, but yeah, oh it's 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 funny though. It's just when you when you go to the races you're always reminded obviously who who are who the most hated drivers are. And I'd say the drivers, the three drivers who got the most booze during driver introductions were by far number 1 was Joey Logano. Um, Brad Kozlowski always gets a lot of booze and obviously Kyle Busch. The fans just really let those guys hear it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, he's so good. He's so good. I know. And he's so young and we've got a lot to talk about, but yeah, that's my initial, my initial little feelings on the race. Yeah. Well, Hey, this is the lug nuts and beer podcast. And we didn't even talk about what what brews we're drinking what do you got over there heck yeah man uh of course i'm drinking beer but uh, dude i just i've been thinking about it all week i feel so bad about last week i totally diminished and downplayed your story about your aunt and that was an awesome story and i just want to go back to that because we got all sidetracked talking about crazy uh myrtle beach old time photo booth but (laughs) That was a cool story, man. And then for your aunt to be thoughtful enough to give you that, uh, it was Pacifico, right? The six pack. Yeah, Pacifico. Yeah. Along with the picture, that's pretty dang cool. Yeah, and I never got a, a chance to actually tweet out that photo. So that was that photo was taken at the campground campgrounds in Bristol. So maybe uh, with the Bristol race coming up here in a few weeks is when we'll send that photo out. Yeah, definitely. But I was just thinking about that through the week, and I know your aunt listened. So, um. Just wanted to bring that up again, and that's a super cool story. I'm glad she did that. Um, but anyways, what I'm drinking tonight is I've got a story. So last week, I went up and surprised my girlfriend in Philadelphia, drove up. I had two days off in a row from work and drove up to Philadelphia. And on my way back, I stopped and visited one of my college roommates, uh, Tim Scouten, who's working for a brewery uh, in Baltimore. Um, called Peabody Heights uh, Brewery and he works there in the factory and they make beer for a lot of different uh, local or well yeah local and smaller uh, breweries who need their beer produced uh, in a bigger scale than they're capable of producing so here I am it's like Thursday morning around eight o'clock and I'm driving from Philadelphia to North Carolina, and I stop in Baltimore, and I get the tour of this brewery. Have you ever been on a, a tour of a brewery? Yeah, Great Lakes up in Cleveland. Mm. Dude, it was awesome. That 
I've never done anything like that before. And my mind was just, it was great. I'm walking around a factory at eight in the morning, drinking a, a ma- beer. <laughs> um, yeah, a, a magical workshop that creates feel good liquids. <laughs> It's like right. Santa's elves working there. Yeah, it's it's the adult nor- North Pole. And, <laughs> and they, I mean, there was conveyor belts with beers being bottled and, oh my gosh, quality control workers, a machine that just packages everything up. And I'm just used to opening those cases and not even thinking about the entire process that goes into it. My friend Tim... He's starting his own, so he works at this brewery, but he's also starting his own um, little side project, and it's called Gunda Beersmiths. So if you're in Baltimore, I want you to look out for Gunda Beersmiths. They're starting uh, their first batch is a Scotch ale, I believe, and it should be released locally in the next couple of weeks, I think, if it's not already, but... It's cool, man. He he's like in there doing microbiology, and he's wearing a, a scientist coat and just doing crazy stuff with beer. And it's he's awesome. like the he's like the Walter White of beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> like the wall. He is the Walter White of beer. And so Tim, Tim and I are in the same fantasy football league, and when we played each other in the regular season, we made a bet. Whoever whoever lost had to buy the other um, a case of beer. However, you wanted to leave that up to interpretation. And so when I slept through, he had a full case of all sorts of the beer that he has, he himself has brewed um, for different companies. And the one I'm drinking right now is the one I was drinking when I was walking around at like 8 in the morning. It's called uh, Red, Scent, Red Scent Amber um, by Public Works Ale. So really good right on that's awesome man and, and honestly when his beer is ready to go if he has any way that he could get it to us that would be sweet because then we could both try it out and drink it here on the podcast one day i told him that um yeah he said he would either send it to us or on one of my trips back and forth between philadelphia i'll pick it up but that that is in the works yeah right on man so what it what about you what are you drinking well, I'm going with Old Faithful tonight. Mm-hmm. I am uh, back on the Bud Light bandwagon, if you will. So, um. <laughs> Dude, let's be honest. You never went off the Bud Light bandwagon. Well, we I've never drink- been off the Bud Light. Right, right. <laughs> we, we were drinking it, uh, what, three, two or three days ago at the race. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I had some leftover for the race, and I said, well, why go out and buy new beer just for the podcast when I have some perfectly good crispy coals sitting idle in the fridge, you know? Oh, I hear you. Listen to this. So that's my second (laughs) beer that I'm drinking for the night, and that, my friend, is a crispy cool. Oh, there it is. Perfect. (laughs) So I'm with you. When when in doubt, when in doubt, you go go with what you know. That's right. That's right. Old faithful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so let's just jump back into the race here. Um, mm-hmm. Well, following the race, and this is just something I thought was kind of really interesting. Uh, Jeff Gluck, he is a NASCAR reporter for USA Today, uh, started interacting with some fans on Twitter, and he was talking about how the TV ratings were down 12% from last year. And one of the fans commented on how empty the stands 
seemed. And now we've been to places, you and I, especially Dover, where the stands seem almost half full sometimes. Um, and that definitely wasn't the case at Martinsville. There was a pretty good showing there. But, I mean, there you could definitely see some gaps in, in the seats. Um, and so they kind of got into this whole debate of how Jeff Gordon leaving might have really actually harmed the sport. And so Jeff Gluck ran this poll on Twitter that said, you know, to settle this, you know, let's see what people say. Are you a fan of the driver or are you a fan of the sport? So if you're a fan of the driver, you're probably less inclined to continue watching when your driver retires. And if that is truly the case, and that means a lot of people may have quit watching NASCAR last year after Jeff Gordon retired. So Jeff Gluck ran this poll as of a few hours ago, 3,500 people had voted. 60% said that they were a fan of the sport and 40% said they were a fan of the driver. So obviously fan of the sport is winning, but that 40% that said they're a fan of the driver, that's not inconsequential. I mean, think about if, if 40% of the people who rooted for Jeff Gordon just decided to quit watching races this year because he's no longer racing. I mean, that's a gigantic chunk of people. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I actually voted in that poll. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And what you're saying makes complete sense, Tom. I have a guy I work with at um at the Spring House restaurant downtown Winston. Um and he's a chef and we I he mentioned one time he likes NASCAR. And so we started talking about it. he's a Jeff Gordon fan. Well, I invited him to go up to the race in Martinsville with me. And he said, no, I'm not going to go. I don't watch it anymore. I said, what do you mean you don't watch it anymore? And it's because Jeff Gordon doesn't race anymore. He was a fan of the driver. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's the thing. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, part of you must be a fan of the sport if you watch the races and you had time to get invested in any specific driver. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen over one race. It's because you like NASCAR and then latched onto a driver, generally. Um but I feel like all the changes in like general race, generational racing and driver differences can cause fans to just lose interest to the point that they only watch until their driver retires. I mean, there's no sense in watching anymore once your driver retires. So like, I kind of totally understand that. I mean, if you were a fan of NASCAR when Jeff Gordon came in into the series and lit it up in the 90s, by the time he retired, I mean, the sport's totally different. The rules are different. The playoff system is different. All the faces are different. The cars are different. The teams are different. Everything is different ever, anymore. So everything that you once knew and loved is gone. And Jeff Gordon was like the last remaining remnant of that. So, I mean, I totally get why people have lost interest since he retired. Um, but I think that places an increased em emphasis on getting these new drivers up to speed. Like, you know, your Chase Elliott's and your Ryan Blaney's. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it was it's interesting to note that the ratings are down twelve percent from last year and the year and they're down forty two percent from two thousand fourteen. Uh, this is obviously somewhat in part of because last year uh, Fox moved their broadcasting of this race from the actual Fox Sports station or from the Fox broadcast channel to Fox Sports One. So that's a cable channel, a lot less people have Fox Sports One, so you're gonna have a lot less viewers. Um but overall, in the rankings, I mean, NASCAR is still by far the highest motorsports ratings of the weekend. I mean, they absolutely killed the NHRA, F1, and the IndyCar races that all happened this weekend. So, I mean, that's a good sign of strength for, for the sport. But obviously, you'd like to get all of those numbers back up, including fans in the seats and TV rankings. 
Yeah, I read about that, it being on FS1, and that's kind of disappointing, you know, especially at a race like Martinsville when you see a lot of good racing. And I know one guy led, obviously, the majority of laps for the day, but there was a ton of good racing going on, so it's disappointing that it was on, I mean, FS1's a little bit obscure, I guess. It's not one of the mainstream ones, but that more people didn't get to see some good NASCAR racing. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious why TV ratings are down. It, like I said, it moved to FS1. Not as many people even know that channel exists as the regular Fox channel, you know? I mean, so that's obvious. I think that's easily explainable. But I also, I don't understand why Martinsville isn't sold out every time. I mean, like I said, that was my first race experience there, but it certainly won't be my last. I will be going back to Martinsville as soon as possible, maybe even this fall for the chase race. I mean, it only holds about 65,000 people and there's only six real short track races a year, and that was the first one. So I, I know it's a little early in the year, and you know weather may have scared some people away, even though it turned out to be a great day. But I feel like uh, it's just really surprising to not see it absolutely sold out because I had a great time there. Yeah, I I expect it to be sold out just because of all the articles I've been reading and just kind of doing research on the. The difference between Martinsville and Bristol and seeing how a lot more people prefer Martinsville anymore over Bristol. So I expected it to be sold out. And then I was shocked when I got home from the race and dropped off my nephew and heard my sister. The first thing she said was it didn't look like there were many people there uh, from what she saw on TV. So, yeah. I mean, I would, what, I'd say it was 80% full? Yeah, probably. It's just crazy that think about the last race that happened at Martinsville too. It was mm-hmm. quite possibly one of the best Martinsville races ever. You would have thought that that would have absolutely skyrocketed ticket sales. And I was expecting to be, you know, like squished in there like sardines with everyone. And the two seats beside Hannah and myself were empty. And so that's when you and your, um, nephew came over and sat by us and we watched the race together because there weren't even people sitting in the seats right by the finish line on, in row 20 where I was sitting right beside us. Yeah, which side note, that was awesome. I The last time I sat on the front stretch at a race was Martinsville when I was like the first race I ever went to, which normally we're sitting in one of the corner, one of the turns and that was a, those were good seats. Yeah, we, uh, you and I usually go for the cheap seats, but mm-hmm. that girlfriend of mine, man, she treats me well. Uh, she ho- she hooked it up. She did, man. She did great. That was uh, my Christmas gift from her, and it was even cooler that she decided to come uh, because there was a long time where she was like, well, you should just take Dylan, just take him to the race. And I'm like, well, Dylan's probably going to go anyways because he only lives an hour away, so I'd like you to come with me and experience this race, so... Dude, she said she would gladly go to another race, so I consider that a huge success. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll just all go to Richmond in two weeks, three weeks, three weeks. So I remember you said that. Dude, I had to I had to bring my A game for that racing experience too because not only was I meeting Hannah for the first time, but I was taking – I took on the adult role and took one of my – one of my relatives to a race, which was awesome. So if you notice how prepared I was for that race compared to our normal racing experience, I was bringing my A-game, man. You and I are usually 
quite possibly the least prepared NASCAR fans at any given NASCAR race. I mean, most of the time driving to the race, we haven't even printed our tickets yet. Like you and I, we have no idea how we're going to, how many times did we have to stop at like, what was it like staples and have borrow one of their computers to print our NASCAR tickets (laughs) sitting outside the track at Dover. Oh man. And the, the Dover mad beer rush was always insane. If there's anyone listening to this that goes to the Dover race, you have to know about the beer store that's outside of Dover Speedway. Oh, my gosh. I think it opens at – the race is at 1. The beer store opens at noon. And there's always a line of about 30 people who are are as unprepared as we are rushing into the store as soon as the the doors open. Well, that's the thing. There's like – one beer store within walking distance i mean i have no idea where you would even go to get another one but of course you and i are never prepared so we never have our beverages and and i would say there's more than 30 usually there's like probably 60 people in line and you go in there and they like they have like this whole system where they let you into this convenience store and it is an absolute madhouse when we get in there i remember looking at you the first year and telling you to tell people my story right before I went in because I didn't think I was going to make it out of the store alive with all these crazed, thirsty NASCAR fans. Dude, you, you're you the one who always goes into that store because we've done it so many years that you know the entire routine. Yeah. And, and for the first time ever, when I went to the Dover race with Monica – in the fall was the first time I ever went in there because I still wasn't prepared and didn't have <laughs> beer. So, and just like we talked about printing out tickets at Staples, I, even though I was prepared for our tailgate this time at Martinsville and brought, you know, the grill, propane tanks, all that stuff, I still didn't print off the tickets. So Jacob and I had to walk around all, all over the outside of the track until we found the box office. But, yeah. Uh. yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was and, – and Hannah as well. We were both very impressed with how prepared you were with all the tailgating essentials. Um, you just forgot the tickets. That's all. But, you know, <laughs> we're getting there. Baby steps, you know. One day. One day. <laughs> let's, let's, let's vow to – next time we go to a race together to, one, have our tickets printed and ready to go the day – at least the day before the race. And, and two, also have – the beverages that we need the day before the race. <laughs> I I feel like that is a completely reasonable thing for us to vow. It, like <laughs> we have been to six races just, together. You would think we would have figured it out by now. Yeah. There's no reason to on the day of the race to be meeting some guy in the middle of nowhere in <laughs> Pennsylvania that we met off of Craigslist and listen to him talk about why he can't go to the race because of his sick hamsters. No, it wasn't hamsters. It was worse. It was guinea pigs. Guinea pigs. <laughs> that's, a, that's a true story. The, the, the guy couldn't go to the race. Yeah. Couldn't go. He and his wife couldn't go anywhere because they had some sick guinea pigs. So. <laughs> so we met this guy in a parking lot in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and we just did like a really shady ticket money exchange. And he then he told us this whole story about he and his family's like guinea pigs and we're like all right man well we hope things get better <laughs> oh i can't make this stuff up so yes next race we go to we're gonna have it 
least tickets and at least beer, the two most important parts of our day. That's right. Um, so. All right, man. Well, we just got so sidetracked right there. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Let's – Let's talk more about the race, man. That was it. Did you like the race? What did you think? Honestly, I loved it. But I just love short track racing in general. Um, I loved being there and I and watching it, and I enjoy just how small it is because there's a lot of beating and banging. There's a lot of tempers flaring, which they were flaring again. Um, and I just like the fact that you can see everything that's going on right in your line of vision. You don't need binoculars. You're not blinded by you know, turns on a road course, everything is right there in front of you and the tempers are, are hot and the racing is close. And I thought it was an awesome race. I mean, I'm sure it's not going to go down as the greatest race in the history of Martinsville. Like it certainly won't. I mean, it, it wasn't even half as good as the race there, the chase race in the fall, but it was still an incredible race to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree with that statement and it was just cool. Uh, to see the little guy do well. That was my storyline that I really, really liked. And right. obviously being a fan of one of those little guys, um, I have a little more reason to cheer for him. But you, we saw a lot of faces running up front throughout the day um, that finished well. And truthfully, when we watched the race in person, all I could think was there are three cars that have the potential to win this race Everyone else is just racing for second. Yep. And those three cars being Kyle Busch, um, Kevin Harvick, and Matt Kenseth. And one of those guys, I think only one of those guys finished in the top 10. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Harvick finished 17th, and Matt, Matt Kenseth finished 15th. Um, yeah. And a lot of that had to do with where everyone started on that last restart with 12 to go. Um, that that outside line just uh, outside lane just couldn't get it, get it going all day. You had to be inside or else you were just falling way back. Yeah, the funniest thing and the one thing that really sticks out to me, um, I mean we were probably at least three hundred and fifty laps into the race. I'm not sure where we were, but you nudged me at one point and you just said, "Dude, look at who the top four cars are," and it was Kyle Busch. Matt Kenseth, Kevin Harvick, and Jimmy Johnson. And I just kind of laughed, and we both kind of shook our heads. Like, we've seen this story before. Like, it's always those guys. Like, it's no surprise to us that they are up there. And we were just like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. And then kind of all hell broke loose after that. Some people got stuck in some bad lanes. Some people's cars fell off. Kyle Busch stayed dominant through the whole rest of the day. But I want to read you. You know, after Kyle Busch won, you know, it's kind of a surprise because he had never won at Martinsville before. Um, but it's not a surprise because it's Kyle Busch. Uh, but then you look at the rest of the top five, and A.J. Allmendinger finished second. Kyle Larson finished third. Austin Dillon, who's been having a great year so far, finished fourth. I mean, but it's still unusual. We're only six races into this year, and he's running better than he ever has. And then Brad Kozlowski finished fifth, which is kind of to be expected as well. But I thought it was really cool to see some of those faces up there that you're not used to seeing. It wasn't necessarily just all the usual suspects or a lot of guys who kind of had career days at Martinsville. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm a little bit offended. You didn't expand your list. Brian Vickers <laughs> finished seventh. Hey, Brian Vickers <laughs> had a hat. He had a hell of a race and 
it was so it was fun to watch you because you were so pumped watching Brian Vickers. I mean, I think it was the first race we've ever been to where he's actually performed really, really well and it was was in top five contention for most of the day. Yeah, or just races at all. Um, right. <laughs> but, right. But, uh, Paul Menard finished eighth. But, yeah, it was – and truthfully, I don't think that Brian – I think he had a little more car than that seventh place place finish i think i think his car was a little better than that but that's just a side note um but those guys we just mentioned uh aj allmendinger kyle larson austin dillon brian vickers paul menard they have combined three career wins and i know none of them won and we're probably playing this up more than need be but also that group previous combined previously had seven top 10 finishes at Martinsville and they all wow. finished second, third, fourth, seventh, and eighth. So, um, yeah, definitely a really good day for those small cars. And then on top of that, Richard Childress racing, all three drivers were in the top 10 yeah. at Martinsville. Yeah. So, that's a really good sign because they've kind of missed the boat a little bit the last few years. I mean, especially ever since Kevin Harvick left, I mean, they just haven't, been the same i don't want to say they've been you know irrelevant because they haven't been but they haven't been contending for wins and to see all three of those cars in the top 10 could be a sign of of good things to come it's just one sample race and it's at a pretty unique track with martinsville there's not a whole lot of other there's no other racetrack that's like this so you 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 want to see that success you know in a larger sample size but it's it's definitely a good sign three top tens that ain't too bad yeah Agreed. And then, I mean, to counteract that, we look at who I think we just talked about in our last podcast about Hendrick Motorsports and how well they usually do at Martinsville. And mm-hmm. the, they only had one person in the top 10, um, two in the top, well, I guess three in the top 20 if you count Chase Elliott, who finished 20th. But um, yeah, I guess a lot different than what we expected in our, our Martinsville brilliant race preview that we had last week yeah well in casey casey kane didn't even finish in the top 20 he was 22nd and mm-hmm. i think everybody expected him to have a better race he qualified really well he practiced well and then pretty much from the drop of the green flag he was totally irrelevant again so yeah uh don't same. know what happened there yeah same and same with joey logano too that's a i mean dude was on the on the pole to start the race and and he quickly worked his way to the back, and for a while he was a few few laps down for a good portion of the race, and then he worked his way back up to I think eleventh, but yeah, still a, a disappointing day for him, Logano as well. Yeah, a lot of the favorites struggling, man. Oh yeah, and then obviously I have to mention, I mean it's it's not a secret I am a Dale Junior fan, so I remember going there. And I was try- trying to kind of explain to Hannah how it works. I'm like, you know, this is Martinsville. It's a short track. It's kind of one of those tracks where anything can happen. You know, if you have one little problem and you have to pit, you're going to go three laps down right off the bat. I'm like, I mean, Dale could wreck on the first lap is what I said. And I'm like, I hope that doesn't happen, but, you know, it, it, it could. And sure enough, three laps into the race, I see him spinning just in total disbelief. Uh, so that was a pretty sour start. And then he spent the next 350 laps just trying to get back on the lead lap. He finally did, worked his way all the way up to sixth. Um, 
and then uh, was running sixth place with 12 laps to go. And I thought that's a that's a pretty awesome rebound. You know, it looked like it could have been a really bad day from lap three, a really long day. And uh, they decide to come in and pit, which you, you can't fault them there. You're just trying to make something work. You know, wins are all that matters anymore. And he restarted 10th on the outside lane. And you just can't get going when you're on the outside lane like that. So he ultimately finished 14th. But pretty much everybody who had to restart in that outside lane all day long struggled, but especially on the last restart. I think Kurt Busch restarted sixth or, or something like that on that last restart in the outside lane. And he only finished one spot in front of Dale. So it's just... It's one of those tracks, man. It's a one-line racetrack, and you need to be on the bottom. And if you're not, you're kind of screwed, to be honest with you. So the only person who's really in any control of their own destiny is the leader in Martinsville, and that's why you want to stay in the lead there. Right. Yeah, I mean, it would be good in the fall. Well, it'd be, it'd be great, probably ideal, and I'm sure I'm asking for more than what I should, but it would be awesome to see Goodyear come back in the fall with some tires that maybe lay down a little more rubber and see see maybe two both those lanes get going so that it's not just the inside, but that's just minor. Yeah, um, well, I think some of the drivers were thinking and crews were thinking that the track wasn't rubbering up because the temperatures were just too cool. The track temperatures were too cool, so the tires weren't wearing out onto the racetrack. But even when they do, it just seems like Martinsville is a, a one-lane racetrack. It's just the way it is. It's the way it's always been. But I think that's kind of what makes it exciting for fans is that in order to pass people, sometimes you have to give them a little bump and shove, you know, show them the chrome horn and get them out of the way. And I think that's kind of what makes short track racing short track racing. Yeah. Yeah. That was my little utopia I just painted for you. But in real life, <laughs> I'm all about the, uh, the bump and pass. um um, so one other quick side note here before we uh get our picks in for texas uh did you see dale jr's sandwich choice that took the social media world by storm today (laughs) yeah i saw that picture of the banana and mayonnaise oh on on white bread on white bread what do you think about that that just must be one of those good old boy, you know, delights from the South or something. Cause I've never heard of that, but I pity any other NASCAR team or driver or anybody else looking to make some news today because NASCAR's most popular driver tweeted a photo of a sandwich and it's all anybody could talk about all day long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that I'm going to try that tonight. I'm dead serious. I've got, I have bananas. I have all the ingredients necessary. I'm going to try it. I'm going to let you know how it is. I want you to take a picture of that sandwich so we can I tweet it out. It. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, I don't take a picture of that sandwich. Okay, I will. <laughs> I will take I think, a I think personally, I think I'm going to pass on it, so I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the taste testing to you. Uh, all right, fair enough. You'll probably be missing out. Probably. One other thing I noticed, by the way, is that – and now that we have to kind of provide our analysis of each race, when I go to a race, sometimes I get so fixated on just watching Dale's car all the way around the racetrack, since you can't do that on TV, that I kind of lose sight of everything else that's going on in the race. So <laughs> mental note for the future, see what all the other drivers are doing too, so we can talk about it and not do have to do as much research. Uh, I hear you, man. I was doing the same thing with Brian. I was living and dying 
on every single move that he made throughout the race. <laughs> I you really yelling. I was the guy during driver introductions standing up, yell when Brian Vickers' name is cheered. Everyone else is giving like the golf clap, like just being polite. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, let's go. <laughs> there, there were times where you and I were each yelling and pissed off about something entirely different, and I would know it was because you were watching Brian and I was watching Dale. yeah oh man that was a great time yeah it really was dude i i'm just gonna say this to all our listeners out there i enjoy this podcast it's awesome i if if you listen tell your friends tell your parents family listen to this because it's a lot of fun and i (laughs) i think the reason i say that I was telling a coworker earlier today what I was doing tonight, and I got off work later than I thought I was going to, so I didn't end up doing it. But I'm in the process of refinishing my kitchen table, and I'm like taking it and staining it and painting it, and I don't know anything about that, but I just use Google, and it works. But I told him what my night consisted of, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go home and have a few beers and do my NASCAR podcast and probably work out in the garage on my table some. And I was just like, oh, my God, that is the most American manly <laughs> statement I've ever said in my life. Oh. Yeah. So in, in that moment, you 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 were truly an American man. That's right. That's right. Some uh, somewhere there was a belt buckle being being forged in a fire that is probably being sent my way. I hope. It's just like the state of Texas that says I am a man. And I, and and I beer, make table and song. I make tables. <laughs> and I make tables. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, dude, let's look forward to what do we got next? We got Texas. We got Texas this Saturday night, man. Let's uh let's let's give our picks before we wrap this thing up. Who who do you got? Oh, I am going with a, a Texas favorite, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Jimmy Johnson, and I mean he has the. This is an easy pick. I feel bad making this, but he after picking Brian last week, I I've got to go back inside the box and not go outside so much. So he has the all-time wins record at Texas. Um, he swept both races in 2015, um, but I think more importantly, and I was reading an article of an interview that Jimmy did earlier this week, or just a few days ago, about um, Texas has one of the older surfaces on the circuit, and it requires a lot of adjusting throughout the race. And I mean that's that that's his bread and butter when it when you need to adjust and throughout the race and you know depend on your crew, which he has such a such a good team behind him, and he's so good at making those adjustments. How could you? How could you bet against that guy at a track that he's good at? So I, I've got Jimmy this week. How about you? Right on. That's a good pick. Um, I'm going uh, Truex. I'm going to go Martin Truex Jr. Ooh. here. Uh, he's Again, he's racing the Toyota cars. They're, they have been fast at the mile-and-a-half tracks. Uh, I can pretty much pinpoint it to exactly when they all seem to get really fast there and at those tracks. And it was uh, last year at Kentucky. I went to the race at Kentucky Motor Speedway, and that was like the beginning of the domination period for Joe Gibbs Racing and all of their Toyotas. 
uh, from that point through the end of the season, and obviously Kyle Busch was propelled to a championship. And I know Martin Truex Jr. doesn't race for Joe Gibbs Racing, but he's kind of like an adopted teammate of those guys, and he's been running well over the course of the past year, and he generally shows a lot of speed at those mile-and-a-half tracks, and uh, I think I'm going to pick old Martin to go to victory lane for the first time this season. All right. I like that pick. That's a good pick. Right on. All right, buddy. We are uh, well into this podcast. You want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up, man, the way we always do. All right. Bye, everybody. See ya.